All right, folks, welcome back to the podcast, One Man, One Tree. And here we got a special guest, Mr. Phil Hunt. Phil, how are you, sir? I'm good, man. I mean, despite the world being on fire. Finally, we finally got in this thing. How's the pulse in the Midwest? I feel like people is the first time they're understanding about, like, the Midwest a little bit. Uh, the Midwest? Uh, well, I mean, obviously, I'm not there. I'm in New York, but... Right. Uh, you know, I can see my friends and family and, you know, it's about the same as we are to where it's just like really in the middle of a pandemic. Right. <laughs> it's supposed to be six feet away from us and you're going to choke us. And that's the crazy thing, too. The whole crazy thing about the whole thing is people are like seeing it, but I'm just like, it's always been wild like this. Like, you, yeah, and you know, it really wild like this. It makes you. I'm just tired of people blaming it on Trump. Like that's almost giving him too much credit to where it's like, he didn't invent racism, you know, he's like Diddy. He invented the remix, but and sometimes the original I version. Right. <laughs> sometimes I feel like Donald Trump is just like, he's like that football player that you just, you know, you're going to win. So you just wait for the other team to mess up. So he's letting, <laughs> yeah. he's, letting every, he's like, I'm just going to stay Man. right here, hold the ball. Somebody's going to fumble. Yes, that's really what it is. All Biden had to do is shut the fuck up, and he just keeps talking. It's like that time you're out on a date with a lady, and she, you know, when she walks in and she goes, nice place. All you need to do from there is just shut up. <laughs> Whole lot of shutting up, you know. I feel like Take his your team. waitress well, compliment her. That's it. His team didn't warn him who he was dealing with. I feel like his team set him up to be all like, this guy's tough, so you need to be on defense. And I'm like, you had it easy. All you had to do is answer the question. Uh, did you ever watch The Wire? Yeah, I only got like three seasons when they start bringing the kids in. Trump is Omar. He's a side game. <laughs> and like, <laughs> like uh, what's his face? Um, the guy on The Wire, uh, what is it? Oh, Stringer Bell that's played by a uh, big sexy guy. What's his name? Uh uh, Idris Elba, big sexy big, that's, that's guy, kind of big sexy. Yeah, you know the British. Yeah, the, the British. You know, that's he was. He won the award for it, so I didn't make that up. You know, he is what he is. Anyway, you know when you win that award, you know, or when you know you watch that show, he tells Avon Barksdale at some point, like, "Look, you're the big guy. You're in charge of taking orders from you, but this shit ain't making us no money." Right. You know. We're supposed to be drug dealers, and we're over here chasing around this guy. And that's what I feel like Trump is to where it's like the language they're using isn't even proper. You know, technically, you're supposed to be winning over the American people. And they're just like, nah, we got to defeat Trump. Like, it's the NBA Finals. Yeah, they're just like, we got a common enemy. I was like, that's still negating what's happening out here, what people really want. I feel like he's doing the <laughs> right. same Hillary Clinton thing. Like, no, nah, don't worry about it. Don't worry, I'm better than him. Yeah, like, they're going on the Breakfast Club, which is just like, dude, I watch the Breakfast Club every morning. I find it quite entertaining, but that's all it is. Yeah, <laughs> I'm entertaining. He set he set him up. He set him right in, set him up right inside there. He wanted to get a a sound bite, and everybody's like, "Who are you to question?" Oh, I'm you're gonna like, get a sound bite, but you're more likely to become a meme than you are the mayor. You know, one of uh, my this guy at my church, he works at he works for the Biden the Biden uh. Can't what do you call it the 
fundraise is it called a no their campaign campaign, yeah, what, their campaign you know. thing and i'm just like man people hate joe biden people don't even when president obama was the president people always thought joe talked too much yeah he's just a sidekick and it's like you know no one really likes you right like i hate to tell you it's kind of that hillary syndrome all over again where it's just like people like bill you know and even a lot of people now People stop liking Bill. Yeah, since there's information, people are like, "Yeah, hold up, Bill." Which I'm, I'm a big, I'm not a big fan of judging yesterday people by today's standards. Uh, you know, the only bell I can shoot by is, I mean, you're, we're about the same age. Uh, we, we were children when you know these mass incarceration laws and stuff went into effect and locked up all of our cousins, basically, and uncles. And then you got to sit at some open mic and hear some white guy yell about. Because <laughs> they don't have dads. And it's like, but let's talk about why we don't have dads, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, let's not just throw that out there without also explaining that these laws were set up in that way. But for Biden, it's judging yesterday's people by today's standards. Because it's like, well, if you're 25, you don't really remember crack the way we remember it. So where it was like, it was a huge problem, you know? Don't you, do you feel like that today's standards is always it's always about your past? Look at straight up Jimmy Fallon just apologized for something yeah. twenty years ago, and, and and that was ridiculous. But that's what I'm saying. I think hindsight doesn't really tell the story; it removes the context of that story. So even when you're talking to Biden, you got to remember all our parents voted for uh, Clinton, mm-hmm. and Biden was just a senator or whatever he was, and he wrote the law. So he does get the blame, but it's like, look, we had crack, people getting murdered from starter jackets, uh, teen pregnancy was at an all-time high. If I was Biden, I would have taken a crack baby on the breakfast club with me and been like, this is why, like, <laughs> this is why I did what I did, you know? What I did was wrong, but also, look at this kid. He can't he, make eye contact. He kind of was, like, buffing himself up, like, yo, check my record, man, look what I've done. And then there's like, oh. That's what was funny, you know, two minutes in, Charlemagne's just, not even two minutes in, 10 seconds. Charlemagne's like, well, I've been critical of you. And Biden goes, I know, and I got to tell you, you don't know me. And it's, <laughs> it's like, are you T.I. all of a sudden? You don't know me? That's, you don't know me. You know, in the first 10 seconds. And then it ends with him telling us, you ain't black if you don't vote for me. And it's like, like what? We don't like your jokes. Nah. Yeah, it was a bad just like let the comics do the joke, which odd enough they treat the comics like they're politicians, you know. Like you, know you said with Jimmy, Jimmy Fallon. Yeah, do you remember Don Rickles? Do you remember that dude Don Rickles? He yeah, like yeah, insult, I you know that. at the end of his life he was getting a hard time because he kept doing them old jokes and people weren't down for him. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. I think he did the uh, President Obama something. He goes, I didn't know President Obama's here. Is he gonna do the floors later? And people are like, What did you just Oh, yeah. And I mean, that, it really doesn't bother me from someone of that age. Someone who's 19 would have to explain to me that joke. But someone who's 75, hey, man, have at it. You know, if that's the shit you were doing in the cat skills, then fair enough, I guess. But like I said, I'm not a big fan of judging yesterday's people by today's standards. Like I said, it, it removes context a lot of times. So even like with Jimmy Fallon, it's like, you know, in the larger context of today, blackface, you know, might, you know, 
what's the word I'm looking for? Well, obviously it had a historical path. I'm sure you know that, right. um, you know, all the way back to, uh, what, what do I want to say? Like vaudeville and them not letting black performers perform. But in the modern context, when I have to scale it beside seeing a video of a cop choke somebody, it's like, hey, Jimmy, you off the hook, man. Like, probably don't do that shit again and don't do it in my face. Right. And we don't have a problem. I don't have time to be looking back because I'm looking at right now. And it's like, you know, no it's one's dead timing. because he wore blackface. They sometimes bad time is like, y'all should have been did this. Y'all should have did this back in 2000. Like, yeah. Like that anti-lynching bill or whatever they came out with last year. And it was just like, really? <laughs> That's what we're doing right now? <laughs> it took you until right now. And yeah, talk about horrible time and that whole Doja Cat thing is kind of crazy. Because I know she wishes she could be in those chat rooms right now. Like, if she could log on to Confederate chat right now, <laughs> it would just cleanse her soul. <laughs> Sometimes you gotta. I think that a lot, of, a lot of us don't realize. Like, mix, mix, mix. People gotta. You know, they're they're a lot of confused people. You know, yeah, definitely. Never, they, you know, I under. I don't understand her saying that, but I understand her being like mad lost. But we forget her. You know where I, I, I'll never say it's right, but. Exactly. And you bring up a great point of like, well, who's her audience? I mean, when I saw a girl holding a cheeseburger, singing about move <laughs> in front of a cow, like a green screen while twerking, the twerking was pretty good. Uh, the first thing I say is, wow, this girl's high as fuck. Like, so from there, you know, nothing you really can do disappoints me if that's your entry point to the world, you know knowing who you are. I think like, okay. as an artist. Yeah, she, right, go ahead. Nah, she just looked high as fuck in the video, even of her in the incel chats. I'm like, oh, she looks high. And then, you know, every year we lose two or three artists. Like we lost Mac Miller last year and Juice mm -hmm. World to overdoses. And then, you know, the, we make these artists apologize as if they take drug tests. And it's like, we're in the art world. We know half these comedians are high as fuck, you know? Geeked up. Yeah, off weed brownies and stuff. So it's just like, no, Jimmy Fallon, you don't owe me an apology. It probably was funny as fuck when you wrote it, uh, <laughs> when you wrote it and you were high on that weed brownie. Right, doing Chris Rock. You know, Juicy J apologized too. You saw that? Oh, did, did he do some blackface? No. <laughs> I mean, I guess blackface to the second power. Juicy J, he apologized. He said he apologized to all the kids if, like, if I influenced you to do drugs or, like, pop pills and stuff oh. like that. Because, you know, 3-6 Mafia, those were the boys that were heavy on it. They were, like, the first ones in, like, rap to, like, really talk about hardcore drugs throughout right. late, early yeah, 90s. Non-drinkers, non-snorters. That was the intro. So, <laughs> yeah, they, they didn't even let the beat come on. They didn't like, like you, you non-snorters got yeah. five seconds to get out of here. <laughs> so, yeah. But see, I think, like I said, I think even, you know, when you critique art at a certain point, like I said, treating us like politicians, Joe Biden shouldn't be allowed, you know, to participate in incel chats and then come back to us. But Doja Cat, and then even when you talk about 3-6 Mafia, it's like, that's art, you know? Three six, like you got past the three sixes, that means the devil. So 
That's exactly <laughs> what I expect to hear when I turn on the speakers. So you non-snorters, you got five seconds. Get out of here. And I was like, y'all apologize for that. You should apologize for all the fights we got in because of all that three six mafia. <laughs> yeah. Get them. <laughs> yeah, tear the club up. Like, like tear the club up. Th this club does not have insurance. Do not tear this <laughs> club up. Like I wouldn't have even let DJs play that, you know. DJs to play yeah, wanna go home. That's when they used to start it. So right. it's time to go home, they start playing it. But yeah, you're right about music and like, you know, people said that was J. Cole's whack album, you know, KOD, which is about overdosing. And then he makes that album and they're like, it's whack, it's this, it's that, it's boring. And Mac Miller dies and then Juice World dies. And then everyone's like, hey, let's talk about drug usage in music. And it's like, uh, <laughs> I think that, that guy man. just tried to last year and you guys told him it was whack. So. Dude, it's, it's, it's such a reverse, a reverse world. And I feel like we live in a society where people don't get second chances. And I think and that makes Dojo it hard Cat, to admit. Right, but Dojo Cat, the reason why people get upset, because number one, she's a black woman, and she her number one song was with another black woman. So it's just like, you don't even like us? But I think it's by default that she's a black woman, and it still doesn't make her any less black. It just means she makes some questionable choices. And like I've been trying to say this whole time, you know, we're trying to hold her accountable, but this Joe Biden guy might be our president. So it's like... Well, what's more harmful and what should I really be worried about? A 24-year-old girl in an incel chat twerking or, and like I said, high out her fucking mind, you know? And then I rolled over the next morning after reading her apology that her management typed out and Azalea Banks is there talking about Dave Chappelle and it's just like, oh. She looked high out of her mind. Too. She looked high out of her mind too. She's I like, know too much, you know. In pills. Jimi Hendrix, all the way back to Jimi Hendrix, OD, you know. Uh, was it Philip Seymour Hoffman, the actor? Yeah, he died too. Like I said, Juice World, Mac Miller, and it's like, yo, artists be high as fuck. So let's not act like we're surprised about the overdose, and then let's also not act like these people are completely sane. They're not. Do you think? I question my own sanity. Do you think, do you think, do you think Joe will win? What's your honest, what's your prediction for the election? Man, I think Trump is too strong. He's too, like, what they say about comedians, like finding your voice. Oh, once he found his crowd, he found his He name. has his voice, man. And he's going at Twitter now. He's going at the CEOs of Twitter. See? And, and you know, which is weird because it's just like, dude. We're in the middle of a pandemic and entire city's burning. You want to talk about Twitter? Censorship. <laughs> True, think, which is I a... Think, I really think that Donald Trump has found the, the key, the key to this country is really to get the counties. He's like, let the big right. cities keep the cities. But if I get a whole bunch of counties, <laughs> the counties... And you, he made a good point when he's... Not, I'm not agreeing with him, but he said, like, he goes, all these big cities with police brutality, he goes, there's always... They're blue states. yeah. Those are blue cities. He's, it's like, it's their problem. It's the mayor. It's that Amy hilarious. or whatever. Yeah, it's like a, um, it's like a Bernie Madoff, you know. Like, right. well, I pull a bank heist. I'll just take a penny from everybody. And it's like, what? <laughs> and then you start checking your account. You're like, he did. Two cents a month. 
He was you, and you don't even care about that either. You're like, oh, it's just two cents. What is what is two cents? Right. Who's checking so on? You add up everybody in the world. But you bring up a good point. And again, I think Trump is this weird side game because people aren't even looking at the trends. And when you really look at the trends of the last four elections, it's someone new. Now, granted, Obama is different because he's like smart and he also had political experience. But this new generation, you know, we want somebody new. Is what I'm seeing on all sides. You know, Obama was new, and George Bush. It, that was. And if you have a long track record, well, he's still so. <laughs> yeah, his dad. But I'm saying, like, our, work. our parents on either side were kind of cool with these legacy acts, where it's like, oh, you've got your family name, right. so surely you know what you're doing. They trusted that, and we're like opposite, where it's like, no, you know, we started with Obama of like, look barely political experience what did he have like seven years as a senator or whatever so he didn't have a long track record to be judged of voting for the wrong things so where you know i talked about everybody on the breakfast club but it's like you know kamala harris went on there andrew gillum uh andrew yang uh hillary clinton bernie sanders it's everyone who, them. i would never go that's that seems like exactly <laughs> it's everybody who loses Right, as soon as but I got hot sauce in my bag, everybody's like, what? Nah, fam, we ain't buying it. If she just said I got mayo in my bag, we <laughs> I bet you do. See, she's just being herself. <laughs> and I think that a lot of people don't realize that the Breakfast Club is really our generation. These younger kids are on something else. Right, and it's also entertainment. So it's just like, well, do black candidates go on Kiss FM to try to get the white vote? Like, no, they're not. Morning radio's for shenanigans, you know? Right. Like I said, you're more likely to become a mean than the mayor, you know? Look <laughs> at the hot memes, you know? Soldier Boy, uh, Takashi 69, you know? So you're putting yourself almost in the arena with them to become a mean, and that's why they've all lost. Like, you know, that's a good entertainment platform. Right. People still conflate, you know, hip-hop with black, and it's like, look, that's a good hip-hop forum it's the number one show you know so shouts out to Charlemagne. it's a great show but it's like it's not a political platform rap is anti-politics i mean i think that people want the respect i think he's you when you build that up to when you build that to being the voice because it's self-entitled until people realize like no i i like this and then people are just like yeah. no, i gotta gain his i gotta gain his respect man it ain't even no breakfast at the breakfast club so <laughs> you can't really go there looking to make a whole lot of sense to a generation that doesn't give a fuck about you. I don't give a fuck about you. And I watch them every morning. And I'm not even voting. I didn't vote last time. I'm not voting this time. Cause <laughs> vote I see I see George Floyd. I voted for Obama because you know okay. he's black and he was educated and what he represented on a moral level just felt good. But the rest of this, you know, I really lost hope watching, you know, black kids be murdered in the streets while he was the president, you know. Mm. I felt like it was some type of cognitive dissonance within my own brain of like, wow. Not to blame Obama because he did a great fucking job. And just like I was saying earlier about Trump, Obama didn't invent racism. So I don't expect him to end 400 years of oppression in right. eight years, you know. And he tried, you know, he freed 
exonerated a lot of nonviolent criminals and different stuff. But yeah, this generation, I think, like I was saying, it, it has a bad habit of judging yesterday's standards or, or today's people by yesterday's standards. And for that reason, you know, I don't think, I think it's always going to go to people who have less experience. So all those guys, you know, that went on the Kamala Harris's, the Bernie Sanders, they all had to answer these questions of like, well, what about this? Right. What if, I know since you're not voting, but if you were to vote, where would you be registered to vote at? Oh, I'm registered in New York, so. Okay, so your vote is, your vote is blue. It's crazy about New York, though, because you're originally from Indiana, correct? Indianapolis, yeah. I lived in Georgia eight years, too, so that's probably where the accent comes from, but. How long? Yeah. You, let's go back. Where where were you born? I was born in Kansas. Born in Kansas. But then I was. Pretty much raised in Indiana. I was there till I was two, so I don't remember much. And then, but my father was military. What type of household were you coming from? If you're military, mom and dad, or what type of household? Yeah, two two parent household. You know, uh, military, Air Force, so lower middle class. You know, uh, middle low class. Enlisted officer. Uh, he was a yeah. I guess you could say that. Stripes. It wasn't like he was. It wasn't like he was high up or nothing. You know, we was E five That's what we was doing. Oh, enlisted. Yeah. We, we we was E five I only remember that because it was on my ID card. You got it. He was a tech sergeant. There you go. Yeah, you know you. What were you in? My dad was in the military. My dad was in the Air Force too. So we're, I'm an Air Force just like you. That's why I said okay. when you say Air Force, I'm like, yeah, we're the same. Yeah. Dope. Yeah. We same cut. That's cool. That's how you wind up in. I was in Valdosta, Georgia, you know, for 9-11, Moody Air Force Base, so. I was in, uh, I was in Tokyo during 9-11. Wow. We in Japan for How was that? Down the base, they shut. I remember we weren't in school. I remember waking up in the morning, and my mom was looking at me. I was like, what's wrong? And she goes, there's a terrorist attack. I was like, what is that? And then she just, we kept watching on the TV, and then we went outside, and like, every military police were on Delta lockdown. Everybody's on home base. Yeah. And then like, Same in uh, Georgia. Yeah, you know what's crazy, man? I had a friend move to Japan, Okinawa, I think. What's the Air Force base over there? Like an island. Is that yeah. where you were? I was in. I was on the mainland. So, uh, Okinawa is like. Um, okay, let me give an example. Okinawa is like is like Puerto Rico. It has its gotcha. own culture and everything else. They don't consider wow. themselves Japanese. They consider themselves Okinawans. They're like Hawaiians. They're Americans. I like. Lions. Like Texans. Right. Like I'm a Texan first, American second. And you're like, okay, buddy. <laughs> they major in Texas and minor in American. They're the only country they're the only country that doesn't try to speak English. Interesting. And that is interesting, man. It's yeah, in New York I work as a cabbie and I pick up people from all over the world and they speak English damn near better than we do. And it's just like wow. So to see somebody that doesn't is just like, you don't give a fuck, do you? Dude, <laughs> it's almost cool. Japan's the only the only country in the world that has a Disney World and this they don't it doesn't even fall underneath Disney World policy. Hilarious. It's like, <laughs> like they like bought it like McDonald's. Like you can use I used to work at Disney World. So you can get into any Disney World in the world except the one in Tokyo. They're like, no, nah, no, nah, we're going That's to hilarious. They're like, look, we're over here doing our own thing. Freaking you know. had Dragon Ball Z in the eighties, and then it came over here in like two thousand. Right, yeah, I remember that. We were calling it 
we were calling it we were calling it japanimation and we sure we you know we sure were I see the kids now and they're like anime and I'm just like, uh, uh Japanimation, you know, it's like, like big Japanese uh, logo that would pop up, right? Yeah, it's like how people can't update their terms, you know, the races and they're like Oriental and it's like, uh, 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 I've been saying it for so long, I don't know how to <laughs> stop saying it. Change it, change it up, change it up. Gotta, gotta, gotta switch it up, man. Gotta update that vernacular. So, for them, like yes. the whole Japanese culture is just like they're light years ahead. I was in Japan, like asking about Dragon Ball Z, and all the kids are like, "Why? My parents watched that." I was like, "What?" Wow! Like you yeah, want to know how yeah. it ends? I was like, "How it ends? Like it's over?" I'm like, "Yeah, it's over. The whole city." <laughs> <laughs> well, ended. what's funny is, yeah, what's funny is what what they're ahead on, and then at the same time, Ja Rule's touring over there, and it's just like, oh, okay, so. We're well, taking it's like, your. It's like ninety. It's like nineties hip hop. When you go there, like everyone's wearing fubu and they're break dancers. Some dude battled right. me in the club one time to dance. I was like, oh, I was like, no, no, no. This guy must be a break dancer. <laughs> yeah, you you almost got served. Right, that's what happened. Well, what was K there? Were you um how well, big family, small family? Is it a lot of siblings? Five, five kids. So five. my mom and dad had five, and I'm the middle of five. So. Well, what was that like they, as the middle? How, what's the age range from from you? What's the old? We're all two years apart, so uh-huh. uh, you know I had an older brother and an older sister, and then I had two younger sisters. So, and we're all two years apart, so we were like, you know, the Brady Bunch or the Jackson Five, you know. So everybody was like, "This is an army. This is the whole basketball lineup coming." You notice that about military families? They're always big. There's always like those big black military families when they come in, like, man, they, there's more of them. Yeah, because that income is steady, man. It may be E5, but it's steady, you know. Health insurance. Health insurance, yeah. TRICARE was good to me. So, did you guys move like every three to four years? Like, how long? You know, it's weird. I went to 10 different schools, but a lot of it was me backtracking, if that makes sense. Not like, really. I remember. Third grade, like, you know, your dad gets stationed somewhere. And my mom was the type, she wouldn't want to stay alone. So she'd go back home with family to Indianapolis. So Mm. I remember leaving in third grade around Christmas and coming back around like April. And the teacher doing like this, all right, stand outside. You're going to come in. I'm going to announce that a new student has arrived. I walk into the (laughs) classroom. And this black girl, Brianna, I still remember this like it was yesterday. She looks up and goes, he was already here. And it was just like, that's true. She's got a point. I was already here. I am not a technically a new student. <laughs> what? So when you went, when you went back home to Indianapolis, what was that like? Because being black middle class is completely different than, you know, going to school, being like mixed together with everyone else in your social economic. Yeah. How did you feel? Well, it didn't feel that different. The only difference for me was race because, you know, uh, they said about the military that it's one large social experiment, right? So it's really a bunch of poor kids, you know, together in the neighborhood. So a lot of the kids still have the same mentality as they had coming from, you know, whatever inner city they came from. Mm -hmm. So the only way it was culture shock for me was I went from, you know, South Georgia, which is practically Florida, you know, Valdosta, 
what they call Florida, right on the line of Florida and Georgia. Mm -hmm. And going from there to a predominantly white, going from a predominantly white, like country school to the point where, you know, Lowndes High School, they would say like racist stuff. And then you look around like, I don't know if these are the white guys you want to fight. You know, the corn fed white boys and, and they outnumber you, you know. They were doing shit like leaving ropes in the trees. And then I went to Tech when High School, like, which is... When you were in high school, you were seeing like nooses and stuff like that? Yeah, because it's the deep south. So it's like, you know, as the saying goes, the south going south. So, Wait, you know, so they outnumber the black kids. In Indianapolis, it was like that? No, in Georgia. Oh, Georgia oh, and yeah. then going to inner city Indianapolis and... You know, I went to the largest high school in Indianapolis, so tech high school, Arsenal Technical High School, if you technically want to know the technical name. But, yeah, going there, and then now it's predominantly black, and there's, like, three white kids walking around. It's just like, oh, shit. So it was, how, like, how was opposites. That though? How did that switch when you went from being a predominantly white school to predominantly black school? Did you feel more accepted or do you feel because i think sometimes we could be harder on each other yeah definitely we're definitely a little bit harder on each other than we need to be but it's out of love love it's that you know what i mean love but if you're if you're used to being inside a white school where they're very like eh, you know right well like i said Lowndes high school was i'd say if i had to just off the top of my head i'd say it was probably you know eh anywhere between three quarters and a half, somewhere right in the middle of whatever that would be black. So not quite half black, but there were enough of us walking around that it wasn't like it was a white high school. It just was predominantly white, if that makes sense. And then going to pretty much an all black school in inner city Indianapolis, where, like I said, the white kids were like the odd ones of like, who's this white guy? <laughs> like there were five of them and you can name them all. That's crazy because when we think of Indianapolis, I don't think of like a inner, a metropolis of like black people. Yeah, but you're saying it's. Yeah, it's an odd place for the reason that the inner city, Indianapolis, you know, it's like you said, we're saying earlier, you know, it votes blue and there's some mixed races. It's not quite as diverse as New York, obviously, but, you know, it's blacks, Mexicans, white people. And then the second you get outside of the city, you know, some people say, depending on what you Google, that the Klan was started in Indianapolis, or in Indiana, rather, you know? So it's between Indiana and Tennessee. Google flip-flops, depending on what you specifically say surrounding it, you know? But I said that to paint the picture of, you know, once you get outside of Indianapolis, that's what the city is. It's a red state. It's like New York. New York's a red state. Once you get out of the city, once you get to like Long Island and you get to these other places, it's a red state as well. Oh yeah, Staten Island. You know what time it is. That's where all the cops live. So <laughs> yeah, it is. It's it's odd like that because even you know our vice president Mike Pence is what our governor. Yeah. So he came straight from us. So if that gives you an idea of how progressive outside of New York is, or outside of Indianapolis is, you know? And then you got uh, Mayor Pete. The whole time, you never see, you just saw black dudes on the court. So when you saw the Indiana Pacers, were you like, I was like, oh, where's Indiana? Yeah, and then we don't have a whole lot of, you know, we don't even have rappers. So it's just like, ah, uh, Larry Bird. Let's, yeah, we got comedian. We got Mike Epps. One, 
one. <laughs> Mike Epps and uh yeah, that's pretty much it on a national scale. Uh Miss Pat is popping right now, but she's from Atlanta but lives in Brownsburg, yeah, yeah, Indiana. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, Miss Pat is good peoples and she's out there, you know, holding it down. But she's a transplant to us, but we will claim her since we don't have shit else to claim. Michael Jackson, no, that's that's a pretty say, big Gary Indi Gary, Indiana. The whole Jackson that's a, in Indiana. That's a pretty big brag, but it's been a while, you know. So And Freddie Gibbs is from Indiana. From Gary. So yeah. And and you know, if if you know, just like any big city to where Brooklyn dudes don't like Bronx dudes, so Gary dudes don't like Indianapolis dudes, and Indianapolis dudes dudes don't like Gary dudes, but then you get outside of the city and it's like, no one cares. Right. No, one, no, one cares <laughs> no one cares about your weird little beef. Your city rivalry. I think that's when we moved back to America. I was like, I don't, what, what? We're not supposed to like these people. They're all the same. What was your, right. what was yeah, your no. parents like? Were they strict? Were you up in a strict household with five kids? And in the military was like a strict? Uh, not really, you know. They would watch Common View and stuff. And I think one day my parents realized like, oh, he's paying way too much attention to that. Mm -hmm. You know, there was some dude on there and he was saying like, you know, well, what was he saying? You know, comic view was wild, but the dude was saying, uh, Molly was there, Ricky. He was like, you know, <laughs> right. Well, you know what's crazy is everybody remembers the stars from there, but then it's those guys, those other guys that it was like, this was just one of those random other guys, you know, on like a Tuesday night, I'm supposed to be doing homework, and they just got BET on in the background. And the dude was like, uh, you know, hey, ladies, uh, spell dick, you know, and they're all D I C K. He's like, now how come you'll let it go out your mouth, but you won't let it go in? And it's just like, uh-oh. <laughs> turn it, turn it off, turn it off. <laughs> yeah, I remember my mom, you know, kind of tapping my dad, like, yeah, don't be laughing. That boy is picking up all that stuff. And it's like, ah, oh, you're giving it away. So, yeah, we were, you know, they, they, were, they weren't too strict. You know, I was able to have my fun and, you know, get suspended like the rest of the kids. You know, you, get, you take your lumps. That's how you learn. What's the dynamic of your siblings? Is it like boys, girls, or all boys mixture? Uh, I had an older brother. Uh, he passed from cancer right before I moved to New York, you know. So that was like a, you know, turning point for me. Of like, hey, if you're going to do this comedy shit, you probably better go now tomorrow's not promised type shit so yeah my older brother was four years older than me he passed from cancer like almost 10 years ago and i have an older sister who's two years older than me we're all two years apart and then now i have two younger sisters too so there's four of us now but yeah we were all pretty close you know it's one of those households that like can't get you know you can't get people off the top of you you know basically you're always you're never alone What's the love you had raising a lot of love? You had a lot of love growing up inside your house. Yeah, like the you know the Waynes. You know, usually when there's a lot of kids, you know, it becomes basically a funny off. You know, everybody's trying to be funny, and then the next person at dinner, like my little sisters, are hilarious. You know? When do you? Oh, but it's you know military too, so it's like moving to New York alone. It's just like well, we've kind of always been that way. You know, right. kind of off to our own, our own island, you know. So when you, when you, did you play any sports growing up? Were you more athletic or? 
played basketball a lot, you know, until I remember getting cut, you know, in 10th grade. I'm like, yeah, man, you're too fucking slow to be that short. Get out of here. <laughs> and, you know. But mainly I played, like, on a lot of Air Force Base teams, you know, the traveling teams and different stuff, you know. High school was very competitive. You just hang out with your boys the whole time and travel around. Yeah, basically, you know, I played a played a lot of basketball. It gave me that work ethic, you know, the, that competitive thing that you need for comedy, you know. A lot of comedians like to, oh, well, this is just art. And it's like, uh, no, I'm trying to destroy you. It's like, when we get on that stage. I don't want anyone to remember your name. <laughs> when did I want you... them to say to you, and you were okay, too. <laughs> now, the worst thing is when they walk up and they say, oh, I loved you, and you, that was good. That was, uh, whoa, okay. Yeah, that, that's what I'm going for. for? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's what I'm going for every time time you know and then you know all the artsy types they're like it's not a competitive thing you know i just exist in my own space and it's like good luck motherfucker <laughs> i watched bernie mac on king of comedy he was trying to destroy yeah There's the reason he went last they said back in the day steve used to go last they said steve was the one that used to go last steve had the most fame but steve was a great host so it's really a matter of like you know it's like playing point guard or playing center to where it's people sleep on Steve. We're all out here doing our job. Right, people sleep yeah, on him. Steve is he's funny. Steve is dope. He's he's highly relatable, you know. And I've I've learned things from him. I think he was the one that said in comedy, you know, you want to be, you want can only be one level above your audience, meaning you can only be you can only dress one level above them or below them. But if you're like two levels, like the guy who comes into the bar show with a suit. And it's just like that's three levels He's above <laughs> your audience, man. Not unless you're gonna spend three or four minutes talking about the suit <laughs> and how dumb you look. And when you look at the Kings of Comedy, how they all aged consistently. You know, Bernie Mac, rest in peace, lot. But if you think about DL Hughley, has slowly grown because everyone was effing with um about his set. And then when you look at behind the scenes, he goes he right. Just hour to HBO, so he was really doing new, newer material the whole time. He right, he but that's what I mean, like, you know, everybody kind of played their role in all those styles. I mean, Cedric's so underrated, but all those styles, you know, are perfect, like they complemented each other. So I think for even people to look at it like, oh, well, this guy killed that guy, or that guy wasn't that funny. It's like, DL was the first one out, you know what I mean? So. If you look at it like that, it's like that warm-up guy, basically, where Steve's hosting. Guy so. Tory. Guy Tory used to be on the tour. Yeah, I remember that. And, yeah, they, you know, got that lineup right real quick. <laughs> they got that lineup nice and tight. And all those guys are around the same age. It worked out perfect, you know, because you, you switch any one of those guys and that show ain't the same, you know. And then you add Spike Lee and Walter Latham. It's like the rest is history, man. It's the first like docu docu series, but I definitely feel like we we need those platforms, you know, again because you know all of them. Steve, I think, had been on Def Jam. Said had been on Def Jam. Was killing it every night, eight o'clock on Comic View. Cedric was the host, and Comic View came on twice a night, you know, eight o'clock and at twelve midnight. So it's like 
if you're going to be in black people's homes twice a week, you're going to become a huge star, you know, six days a week. And then DL was also feel like it was a package you. deal though. Like Cedric and Steve, like you, you respect that relationship of just like, they were both funny, but they had respect for each other. Like the, I forgot what's the, the, the girl, uh, the principal said. Steve that, Harvey show. Yeah. That uh, was, Miss Hightower. What is her name? Is Regina. it Regina, Regina Hall, Regina King? No. Her name Wendy was Raquel Robinson. Wendy Raquel Robinson, Piggy. Oh. But she said yeah. how they weren't, like, uh, I think it was one of these Tyler Perry actresses, uh, Bam, she was saying how, like, they had to train Steve and Cedric how to hack, and they didn't know how to hack. So they were just making it up on the fly the whole time. And how comfortable yeah. he was with said because those are, they have good chemistry. You can't, like, right. the chemistry they got with each other. Yeah, they were perfect. They, hosted the they, they complimented each other. Yeah, yeah, they they did a whole host of stuff together, and they they were talking recently about them putting it back together. And obviously, you know, like you said earlier, R.I.P. Bernie Mac, which again, go. those platforms, you know, he had tilted on Death Jam, and then you know those rap moguls too. People act like that doesn't matter, but it's like rap changed. There's really no moguls anymore. It's just kids uploading shit to SoundCloud. And then when it blows up, they get a disc. Right. It's like. You know, think about uh, Bernie Mac being in How to Be a Player. You know, that was Bill Bellamy. He did that down. Told the booty call joke. Boom. Next thing you know, Russell Simmons is like, all right, you were already on my show, Def Jam. Let's do a movie, How to Be a Player. Bernie Mac than that, you know. So I feel like we miss out on a, so many levels because those rap moguls are gone. Even when you think of Kevin Hart, you know, uh, Dame Dash, that's his first movie. And Patrice's too, one of Patrice's big parts is that movie. Oh, Patrice's in Paper Soldiers? Yep. Patrice's in Paper Soldiers. So, I, yeah, it's like, top, I forgot. I got to watch it again. Paper Soldiers. I think that it's, I think that it's, it's, it's changing to the point where now it's just like they want you sort of like rapping. You just got to build your own fan base. It's just like you want like Gerard, yeah, definitely. Robert, you think about him, location, being in L.A. the whole time. I think that Little Rel is the perfect artist that adapted with the time. I was listening to a story. Yeah. You think about it. He said that he came up when it was D-Ray Davis and all those other dudes, and he was a youngling out of all of them. Mm-hmm. And when they all went to L.A., they were just like comics aggressive and everything else, and he invested into the next generation, Gerard Carmichael, Jamar Neighbors, Jermaine Fowler, mm-hmm. the brothers. He goes, that whole new wave. He goes, we're just nerds together. Right. Off your and you know, Rel, we learn from these young comics. Rel's story is real close to mine because he was a Midwest guy. He was in Chicago. I've even driven up weekends, you know, and friends of mine would be doing jokes and notes, which was the last black comedy club in, I think, Chicago. And it closed a few years ago. But anyway, my friend was on a show doing a guest spot on the weekend and Rel was the closer. And that's been, you know, 10 years ago. And then I watched Rel, you know, Hannibal was here. I was here when Hannibal was here, you know, doing the Knit Factory. And he'd have a line around the corner, you know, and him and Hannibal are like best friends. So little Rel was, had Hannibal opened up for. That was crazy. Right. But, but Rel was Hannibal's, you know, opener and he was putting Rel on a lot of stuff. So, you know, shouts out to Hannibal. He, the city was way different then, you know. Just the energy like Hannibal would give. Like I said, you go to the knitting factory on a Sunday, it'd be a fucking line around the fucking corner, man. 
you know, I remember catching Rail there and Rail even coming through Fat Baby when I did it, you know, with Hannibal. And they're both on stage rapping. You know how random Fat Baby used to be. Right. So, and then, you know, him getting on and then, you know, movies elevating that platform. But yeah, I, I like everything that Rail has done so far, you know. Well, let's. Well, let's and let's, becoming let's, a meme. He became yeah. a meme on Get Out. And that's a huge movie. And you become a meme and then you're a star. <laughs> he's a scene stealer. Every scene that he's in, he always has those scenes where he can, he can, he sucks himself in scenes. Of- but that's one thing that always rings true to me, you know, that Issa Rae said about being a creative. I think she was, I forgot what she was talking on or what show it was on, but she was talking about, you know, these people that try to reach out to Spike Lee and it's like, like you already know everybody you need to know. Because when you think of Rel being on, an upstart like Jordan Peele's Get Out, that it's like, it's classic now, but five years ago, if I'd have told you, oh, Little Rail's gonna be on Jordan Peele's Get Out, you'd probably go, well, who the fuck's Jordan Peele? Like, but he's the biggest producer now. Right, being on that wave. When you, yeah. when you graduated high school, did you know you wanted to do stand-up? Like, what age did you know, like, this is what I wanna start doing? Walk me through like the first time or walk me through just after graduating high school, what you were going through in your mind? College, or what do we do after high school when you graduate? Well, I just moved back to Indianapolis, so I was just more of adjusting to being in a bigger city and did my last two years of high school there. So, uh, yeah, just adjusting to being in a bigger city and you kind of following the footsteps of your older siblings. And then, you know, obviously everyone's like, go to school. So I took like a year almost off, and then I went to trade school. And I was like 19 working for ADT and it was just shitty. And I was watching like grown men struggle to make their rent and pay their child support and take care of like women that they had married because they had a kid and they were miserable. And I missed, you know, being in class. Well, why did you say no college? Like what what made you know, like, I'm going to take a year off instead of going? That just wasn't what was going on in my head. You know, like I missed my prom my senior year. I bought a car. Remember, I had $1,200, bought like a 93 grand and. And it was just like, yo, I want to drive. I want to have a car, you know, and do all those things. So I was more focused in that area. But somewhere in that year of office, like, yo, I miss making people laugh at school, you know. Because school, in a way, serves as like our first open mic, you know. Yeah the lunch table, the back of the class, the bus, and you're just cutting up. And then once you get out of school, it's like, oh, shit, I kind of miss that, you know? <laughs> I miss being able to joke with friends about shit, you know, and cut up. So once I was, like, 19, you know, and working for ADT and seeing the grind of every day, and it's like, oh, you could work your ass off of somebody, and then they could just get rid of you, you know? Indiana's an at-will state. Mm-hmm. So it's like, why well, build someone else's dream? So I started young, you know, 19, 20. I remember, you know, not being able to go in clubs. And I signed up with this one dude and he didn't come, you know. Me and him were supposed to go up on the same night at Crackers in Indianapolis, you know, Crackers Comedy Club, which is a joke within itself. <laughs> Crackers is our sister comedy club in Tampa. That Side Splitters and Crackers was built by the same person. Right. Uh, then you know Mark Craycraft, don't you? Craycraft, yeah. Uh, what's the old buddy's name? Brett Terhune? Brett. Yeah, Brett Terhune. Brett yeah, Terhune started with him. Me and, 
funny motherfucker, man. And shout uh, out to Richard Hune and all my Indiana comics. Uh, yeah, Brent does that character. Uh, I'm trying to think of his name now. Well, he's just a redneck character. And people respond to him like he's real. And it's like, we all may be a little too invested in these arguments, you know? He looks the part, <laughs> though. He looks the part, so nobody knows. He, he, he does look the part. And, and that. Back to the point of, you know, Indiana, Indianapolis being a blue city, but a red state. So where it's like, yeah, Brent Hugh plays the part well because he's surrounded by those guys. So, What was it like in that Indiana comedy scene growing up? Who were the guys you started out with? Like, what was your classic comic that you started out with? Uh, Brent, me and Brent Hugh actually are, were the young guys, you know. We were both 19 to 20-ish, you know. We couldn't go in the bars. We'd be waiting outside the back to go in do our five minutes and then get the fuck out, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, who else? Uh, I'm trying to think. Like I said, Miss Pat, I think, had just moved to Indianapolis. Then they had another club open up, Morty's, and they had a non-compete club. So, That's everything. You know, it, was like, it was like an open relationship, and then one, one girlfriend cares, and the other one doesn't give a fuck. Because Morty's didn't care, but Crackers would be like, if you perform there, and it's just like, dude, this is making us all better. Why do you care? That's how they split it. You got the improv guys and you got these guys over here and everything else until you get out of the city and realize nobody cares. It's so dumb because it's like there's not that much here to do. You know, it's, we were fighting for bowling alley spots, you know. And I'd perform, you know, maybe once or twice a month. And that was kind of it for about two or three years. And then, like I said, I started driving to Chicago. We'd do jokes and notes, open mic in Chicago, which was Lil Rel, D-Ray, all those guys that came through there. So it was some pretty heavy competition. How did you do out there when you moved out there? How was your stand-up? Did you feel like... Oh, I didn't move out there. I just used to drive. Oh, I mean, like, when you drive out there, how were your jokes? Were they, like, battle-tested? Or do you feel like you um, stronger, or...? I did all right. I remember one time I like did pretty well, you know, a few people up front were laughing. There's always those people that aren't going to be with you, which I should mention, jokes and notes, they're open Michael's top. Like, it was the playoffs one year and Shaq was there, like, just hanging out at the open mic. What, Shaq? Crazy story. So Shaq, yeah, it was when Cleveland was playing Chicago, so it's in like 2010, and he's in Cleveland, you know, playing with LeBron, and they're in the playoffs, and Random ass Wednesday open mic, but those open mics and jokes and notes used to be packed in Chicago. So I'm there trying to get on stage or whatever. Shaq comes in, which was funny. You'll remember uh, the rap group Crucial Conflict. What's up, Doc? So they're there. They're there, and they're you know from Chicago, and they're in VIP. Mm-hmm. And then Shaq walks in. And you just see them standing up and moving. <laughs> <laughs> And this giant human being comes in and sits down with his entourage and crucial conflict now has to go to regular seat. I think they just left, actually. Like, they were like, fuck that, we're out of here. Who were the young comics you met in Chicago that were coming up, like when you would go visit? That you were- <sighs> young, young comics in Chicago, shit, because it's hard to remember names. And then you're like, are any of these people still around? Who's still around that you were coming up with? You're just like, yeah. Which, like I said, I remember, I remember the Chicago vets more than anything because they kind of ran their room. So, mm-hmm. like I said, you know, they'd have Little Rail on a Saturday closing out. You know, he's headlining because he's, you know, famous as fuck in Chicago by then, you know. 
and then like uh bald head phillips uh damn they're called this guy marlon randolph but i forget his name he's a chubby guy a light skin you know that's been over 10 years ago so i've been in new york for eight years now so chicago they do together all over new york every time i meet a comic chicago 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 i ain't got a mafia I'm a little jealous of them because, yeah, you're right. They stick together. And then Indianapolis is just like, look, you lucky if, if a motherfucker say hi to you or likes your Facebook posts, you know. And we jock everything Chicago does. And it's just like, ah, get your own style. We're always, like, chasing Chicago and Atlanta. And it's just like, dude, we're never going to build a scene like that, you know. Do but, you, yeah. This, well, how old were you when you moved to New York? Uh, I was, what, 26 when I moved to New York, so I did, uh, you know, like eight months or ten months in Buffalo, New York, you know, I was just trying to move closer, mm-hmm. so like my brother passed and it was just like, how can I get the fuck out of Indianapolis right now? So I transferred, I was uh, doing deliveries for Lowe's and I transferred to Buffalo and I would come out on the weekends and just like check out the scene and then after coming out like five or six times, I'm like, yo. It's time for the big leagues. So, yeah, I was pretty young when I got here. And, you know, it's a mental adjustment because older guys, I feel like I was the perfect age because I had like six or seven years of experience. I kind of knew my way around on stage and I kind of knew who I was. Where if you find some of these older guys are so locked in to being pros, they're like, well, can I feature? And the club's like, where's Showplace Club? There is no feature. What are you even talking about? 10 for 25. Right. And I was, you know, lucky enough that even in those years where I was, you know, maybe just starting to feature, I wasn't set in my ways, you know, as a comic to where it's like, no, I can do three minutes. You need me to do three? Right. And I feel like when you move to New York, it's like you can't either be stuck in your ways or just you have to adjust completely because the people you never would think Got the juice, got the juice. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I get it. Jabuki one time, and he, like, he did something. And I was like, I gave him some gum. I was like, hey, here, here's some gum, man. Don't worry about it. And the next night, he's on the Tonight Show. I said, oh, this to do that just at the... Yeah, it's, and it's like that, you know, where back home, you know, I was telling somebody because I went back home recently, and it's like he was asking me the difference. And I'm like, the difference is in New York, you know, in Indiana doing comedy, you kind of know who's funny, and then it'll be like another year or two before a new crop of comics shows up because it's not like people are moving here to do it. Whereas in New York, you know, every week, three funny new people are showing up. And, you know, it becomes about other things like, do you have the heart, you know, the four Ps, you know, what practice, patience, perseverance prayer, all that shit, because you're going to need it, you know? Being funny is the bare minimum in New York, you know? Yeah, who it you starts know? With, How well yeah, and, and, and who you can wait to know, because so many people yeah. here I've talked to, I'm like, yo, you got to figure out life, you know? I've been, you know, being a cabbie for, you know, seven years, eight years now, and that's my day gig, you know, three or four days a week, and other people are so focused on comedy that it's like, yo, you're not going to make money from comedy for a while. So you got no health insurance. You don't got no anything else, but what's what? So a cabbie, is it a, is it like a taxi driver or what's it? Yeah, it's, a, it's a taxi driver. 
got the yellow card. You know, I was kind of the last of the Mohegans because I got out here right before Sandy. There was no Uber, you know. Uber doesn't come for like a year or two. And then now Uber's popping and you meet a lot of comics now that do Uber and different stuff because it's flexible, you know. How has Uber and Lyft affected the, the cabbie industry? It's uh, created more competition, which, like I said, I look at everything like, hey, you know, is the glass half full or half empty? And it's like, be happy you got a fucking glass because it's like, yo, they made my car cheaper, if that makes sense. Nah, break so, that down. Oh so, oh, so people can ride a cab for cheaper. Not that you can ride a cab for cheaper. I can pay less for my car now. Like they used to charge us, you know, by shifts. So they would charge us like, you know, $150 per shift when I first got out here, right? Because there was no Uber, there was no competition. So it's like our way or the highway. And they were like mean, you know, the garage guys that owned the cars were mean, you know. Fuck you, pay me was kind of their mentality, you know. You're late, pay me. You didn't fill the gas all the way up. Fuck you, pay me. And now they're practically begging us, like, please, please drive for me. I give you a good deal, you know. It's gone from one fifty to a hundred. So we'll break like, that. Yo. We'll break that down, like as a cabbie. So, is your car like is it literally a yellow cab? You had to buy that car yeah. in yellow, or you're renting somewhere? Yeah. So that's your personal. I uh, I lease. It's not a personal. Oh. And then I have partners. But when I first got out here. I was leasing from a garage and the garage was really mean. You know, okay. get here at 5 a.m. We may or may not have a car for you. If we do have a car, it's gonna be the worst fucking car. We got this whole garage. Yeah. The price is 150. Don't argue with me about that. Tip me. And then, you know, like two years, like a year ago, I was trying to make some extra money. I went back to the same garage you know, seven years later, and they're like, oh, please, please come in. Here's a bottle of water. Uh, thanks for coming in. Uh, oh, it's not 150 anymore. It's, you know, 110. But if you need it to be 90, let us know. It can be 90. And it's just like, see, Uber fucking helped, you know. Because so they were basically the had a monopoly, basically. But when you get inside the cab, the clock ticks, right? The clock ticks. And however, do you have a set hours to drive or – yeah, those those yellow cab shifts are five a.m. to five p.m. So twelve hours. Yeah, twelve hours, but it's it's not as rough as it sounds like because you're kind of your own boss, so you're kind of going at your own pace. And then once you make your money, and once you pay their money, it's like, well, how much do you need, basically? And that's kind of how you have to hustle, you know. But now that I have partners, it's like, well. You know, I no more waking up at 5 a.m. Technically, my shift starts at 5 a.m., but it's like, nah, I might have been out last night doing a whole bunch of spots, so I might sleep till 7 o'clock and then start at 7. Mm-hmm. And it's just kind of all up to me because it's not like, you know, once I pay that set price, it's like, okay, after I pay them their $100, it's all up to me and how much I feel like I need to make. So you paid, so you paid $100. It comes out of your cash or like at the end, they just take it? Well, you know, everybody's mostly using cards now. So oh, okay. mostly so. They, they pay you out at the end of the week, the difference of like, oh, okay, we owe you $300 or sometimes it's weird. And it's like, oh, I owe you $50. And it's like here, because mostly you keep, we keep all the cash because the credit, 
you know, goes through a company. So it goes to the company first and then we get it back if it's more than what we owe for the week. Okay. How has the pandemic of hit, hit the cabin? It's horrible. Nobody's going to work. <laughs> and that's kind of the whole game in New York, right? You got tourists and then everyone's going to work. So right now it's horrible, you know, but still been able to get out there a few days a week and make a little something, you know, but people are barely going anywhere. But lucky for me, everybody's at least nice and they're tipping well. So that's good. I appreciate it. Plus, I just need to get out the house, you know, be in the house all day. It's like, like people need purpose, right? Right. Okay. We it's like, yo, you'll go insane without it. We do this thing on the podcast. It's called these, the hill, the hill questions. So I'm going to ask these questions. They're open-ended questions. You can answer however you want to. If it takes a long time. You ready? Mm-hmm. All right. Question number one is, uh, do you believe in God? Yeah. Definitely. Gotta believe in something right now. Yeah, some yeah. Do you have a favorite person like in the Bible or anything else? Like a favorite person or character? Well, I better say Jesus, right? I mean that's well, some the people easy say answer, other right? I think other answers. Some people say Mary, some people say other answers. Some people like, yo, the devil. They they say the devil a lot. You know, it's like the people that relate to Thanos. <laughs> hey, Thanos. I'm like, this guy makes sense. Uh when's the last time you had a nightmare? nightmare you know what's crazy during this pandemic i've been having them a lot and i don't know why really but it's just like yeah man i think it's because my mind has become restless what is it uh, like they're always really weird things that it's like why was i so afraid of that you know i don't even remember it well one was about the cops which is like i know why i was afraid of that mm-hmm. you ever been was- harassed by a cop before yeah, man, I uh, I actually slammed like an undercover. It was a it's a long story, man. Like, I'll tell you the short of it. He told me to leave, and I was like, dude, you know, it was my sister's car. She had uh, her tire was flat, so I was trying to help her. It's like two a.m. on the side of a road in Indianapolis, and I'm trying to help her change the tire. I come, I see a car behind her car. I'm thinking it's the guy trying to help her. Okay. And, you know, I get out the car and he's like, leave. And I'm like, what? He's like, it's an investigation. Now, again, it's 2 a.m. So I'm not really understanding. All I know is she called me to help her. So I'm kind of going back and forth with him because I'm like, dude, 2 a.m. This is my little sister. I don't really know what the investigation thing is about her tires. He goes, you need to get out of here, get out of here, get out of here. Finally, I go, okay, okay, okay. I'm leaving. I go to grab my car handle. He jumps on my back. Now, naturally, I bend down, you know, because I feel something on my back. I just bend down. He goes flying across my back like suplex style. It's snowing. So he's trying to get up. He's trying to get up really fast. He falls. And I go, dude, what the fuck? Now he's yelling, you know, get on the ground. Get on the ground. I'm a cop. And he's like, and I'm like, well, where the fuck is your badge? And I'm like, why'd you make me do that? You told me to leave and then you jumped on. So I'm like kind of hysterical. And I'm like, dude, I'm not getting on the fucking ground. It's snowing, you know? And I'm more of asking him questions at this point. Like, you're the one on the ground, you know? I just tried to do what you told me to do, which was leave. And when I tried to leave, you jumped on my back. So I'm like, 
I don't know, man. I don't know if I should listen to you at this point. You're being weird. My sister's here. I'm more afraid of what my mother's going to do to me for leaving her on the side of the road with you. So like I said, I started asking him questions once he was on the ground. I'm like, dude, where's your badge? Where's your gun? Like, you know, you're five. If I'm, I'm not a big guy, you know, I'm not. I wouldn't say I'm small. You know, I got wide shoulders or whatever. This dude was like five one. You know, and just kind of goofy. Like I said, he was an undercover. He wasn't in, or he was. He wasn't even an undercover when later when we got the police report because they tried to give my sister a DUI. I figured out that he was, you know, on his way home, so he was off duty. Right. You know? And she, here she is, a young black girl. You know, five foot, all of five foot. You know, and a hundred something pounds, and she's trying to change a flat tire. You know, and you can't even pull up and help her change that tire. You know, you're being a dickhead. You know, and you're trying to investigate her. So anyway, as he's on the ground yelling, "Get on the ground!" and it's snowing, and he's trying to get up. I'm like, "Where's your badge? Where's your gun?" Like I'm, I'm mad because he made me slam him. Basically, I'm like, "Dude, that's Did a natural." He had no gun the whole time. No. So another cop car pulls up and it's a real cop car because his wasn't a cop car because he was off duty. Now, as they get out the car, they're like, get on the ground. And now I'm like, all right, let me get the fuck on the ground. I don't need that, you know, bullshit narrative of, you know, he was resisting arrest. And it's just like, all right, fuck it, it's snowing. I guess I'm getting on my fucking knees. Long story short, they cuffed me, they searched my car. And my sister said half the police report, well, three quarters of it was, all about me and of course they lied you know he was belligerent he was aggressive and it's like dude i did what you told me to do you were weird how do so when you go to the station what happens when you get to the station did you you had to get oh they didn't take me to the station they let me go but like i said you know it was it just became a whole lot that wasn't needed you know for a flat tire it was just kind of silly and i have a i have a white friend indiana who has three DUIs, you know, and he told me a story about, you know, like my sister was barely over the limit. Like, and I honestly think they just charged her because of me. Right. And it was just like a whole thing. But my friend told me, you know, dude, I was drunk and they just snatched my keys out and told me, call somebody to fucking come get you and leave this car here. So, you know. And he was fucked up. Like I said, he already has three DUIs. So it's just like, yeah, man, completely different story when it's us. I think that a lot of people don't realize, like, many, uh, Minneapolis is not too far. It's a couple states away. but it's like, Right, it's in the Midwest. That Midwest, I, people don't realize, like, yeah, the Midwest, I know it's not like the South, but it kind of is. Those cornfields, it's like still. Oh, yeah, like I said, it's, it's debated whether or not the Klan was invented in Indiana or in Tennessee, you know, but whatever the case, you know, it's like, yeah, like you're saying to where it's like, you know, even the difference down South, having lived in Georgia with Ahmaud Arbery, where it's like, if you notice in the South, it's not even cops, it's just random vigilantes, you know, George Zimmerman, this guy that did that to Ahmaud, where it's like, or Ahmed, where it's just like, yo, I think that's the difference, really. You know, in the north, it's the cops; in the south, it's just any random guy. But and I think the cops in the south. I, I, you know, I in the south, it's just like most of the people. Are like I remember in my neighborhood in Florida, there's a cop in the neighborhood, but we all know who he is. 
So we like, he knows right. the neighbor and he like introduces himself and we realize like, okay, when he comes over here, you know, it's like a common, not a common respect, but I feel like, you know, down South, you get those, I mean, probably got it, those speeches about the cop. Your dad probably talked to you like, this is how you talk to a cop. This is how you do this. Right. How you do this. And like, even when you're wrong, you need to do this and do this. So it's just like when people Well, talk- in general, they're more polite because it's the South. So it's, right. you know, that polite, until it's overt racism and overt force. Yeah. Then that becomes a whole thing where even in the Midwest, it's not even polite. It's just like deceptive you know, full throttle aggression from cops, whereas, like I said, in the South, at least, like you're saying, there is some form of, like, you know, them being somewhat decent up front, you know, because obviously on the back end, it's like Sandra Bland exists, so it's like, and that was Texas, so where was the hospitality there? Right, and I I think it's, you know, there's good, there's good and good cops and bad cops, but I think a lot of it is that I think just in the general down south people talk about the racism is more open so you know what it is you know you're not blindsided by where you are yeah you're already on the front of saying that all right i need to be on this i need to be on that i know what it is but up in new york you don't know what it is you don't know it's the liberal the liberal right it's the liberal lie you know that's what was so weird the other day about what was the lady amy cooper and the christian cooper guy in central park was it was like you know, she votes for what people think is the right thing. And that's why I'm not voting, because it's like it has nothing to do with voting, you know. She's calling the cops on him. And then at the same time, within the same country, you know, George Floyd is being murdered by a cop. And she thinks nothing's wrong with her calling the cops on a black guy and yelling at him, reminding him that he was black every three seconds as she's calling him. And people are like, like, look how he probably looks scary. I was like, look how nerdy this this dude was a Marvel executive. Yeah, but that was crazy. Like, I was I was talking to another comic earlier. I was talking to uh, Nico White, and mm-hmm. we were just laughing about how you know, with us as black men, you know, and I I even hated a little because I'm in entertainment, you know, where it's like there's no middle ground for them, you know. You're either Will Smith or you're a thug who deserves to be choked to death on camera by cops whose salaries are paid with taxpayer dollars. And it's just like, dude, I was saying this, you guys don't have any in between. And I think it's that the in-betweens are the people who I I, I thought I was telling my boy this. I was like, it's so hard working and being the, the nice person because you don't have a chance to be who yourself. Every black person assimilates to their job, assimilates because you can't be this. You can't talk about how you really feel. You scare people at work. You know, right? Like I don't. don't I think to not think about the things that I'm about to deal with. I joke around, so I know, like, I don't want to talk about this at my job. Right. Really, post almost a relief. And a relief, like how many comics? Yeah, because it's just like the people that need to. Go ahead. Yeah. Right. It's like the the you know the people that need to learn the lessons aren't learning the lessons. The people that need to speak up aren't speaking, and we're tired of speaking. So it's just like, yo, I'm about to burn this fucking target to the ground, and who cares? You know, if you care more about you know the effect than you do the cause, then you're part of the problem. So where it's like, let's talk about why they're burning the target to the ground. Would they burn it if you weren't choking black people to death? And then, like I said, you know, all these moot points and these arguing points like look man i'm 33 
I saw Rodney King when I was five. And I knew right then, like, oh, shit, what am I in for? And I think that a lot of people don't realize, like, this country is bent off riots. The Boston Tea Party was a riot. Like, you got to think, like, what right. patriotism or terrorism, like, it's all the same thing. It's like when a people... Like, violence is the only thing they respect, you know? Uh, and when, just, you, uh, you start questioning your pig, not questioning your pigment, but as I was telling my lady, I was like, it's like this all over the world. I was like, every country, the lower class people are the people. Well, I'll tell you one, and what really annoys me, especially within comedy, you know, being that we're all, you know, uh, what's the word I want to use? You know, comedy's kind of a melting pot. You know, we're all kind of from different worlds. We're all different colors. We're all different backgrounds of religion and education. But when I first moved to New York, you know, what did I get here around 2012, right before Sandy? Mm-hmm. You know, I got in a huge thing with another black comic over white women. You know, I was joking about Caitlyn Jenner and then at an open mic, you know, and me and him got in a huge argument. Then he decides, you know, weeks later, I'm on Facebook, you know, talking to somebody about, you know, I don't even know what incident it was at the time. But, you know, I'm halfway laughing because I'm just like, dude, white women aren't oppressed in America. You know, the patriarchy is their fathers and their brothers. And Mm -hmm. this guy, another black guy saw me say that. And then that became a post about, well, this Phil Hunt guy hates women and you guys need to be on high alert. And it's just like, dude, we're on the same team, A and B. Like, how is that hating women? And that's what I'm saying. Like, right now with the Amy Cooper situations and different stuff, everybody is just now catching up to where I was then. It's like, look, a lot of unfair shit happens to you. That is true. But. It's nothing like, you know, Ahmaud Arbery or these cops choking us out where it's like, that's on camera. He's dead. There's a gun. There's no chance anyone's lying. Nobody has an ulterior motive. You know, yes, you are, you're inconvenienced a lot, you know, with the whole Karen thing. That it's just like, I'd rather be getting called Karen than getting a knee in my neck. And I think it's, you know, there are, there are, allies and everything else i think it's just some people don't know how to support black people it's tough some people if you don't if you don't if you're not around black people like that you don't know you don't know what to say you don't know anything else so people are just like yo ask right well i'd rather silence than a bunch of stupid argument points that it's just like we explained that to you when rodney king happened are we still having to have the same argument you know and that's really what i see is you know all these what do I want to say? Like these side arguments that like kind of divert from the real argument or the real points being made to where even people are bringing up black on black crime. It's like, you know, that guy in Flint, Michigan, that security guard, remember the woman spit in his face, the black woman spit in his face and he got killed and then they got arrested. So it's like, you know, we're 70% of the prison population, you know, black men and, so to have an argument about black on black crime, it's like, well, how do you think we're 70 percent of the prison population? One is Joe Biden and two is black on black crime. Like, because yes, we get punished. Violence is going to happen in your own neighborhood. First time you're ever going to get a fight is going to be in your own neighborhood. Of course, is that's where the violence is going to be, wherever your home is. Well, right. You know, polar bears kill Nothing polar bears. Australia, black bears. Yeah. Black bears kill black bears and polar bears kill polar bears. 
because they live next to each other. So, right. But so, but you know, the black on black argument, it gets deeper because it's like, okay, well, we're only 12% of the population. Can we even afford to kill 70%? But I feel like that's a conversation that's not for right now. It's like not right now. I think that people got to realize that, yeah, there's black on black crime, but people don't forget we're the smallest percentage of black people in countries, but we have the loudest voice. So when I say that, right. people don't understand like Brazil, uh, India, all, there's a whole bunch of oppressed black people that have no voice at all. Well, yeah, it gets deep. And that's why I said, like I said, you know, I had to argue with another black dude over, you know, six Facebook posts. And it's just like, dude, you know, I don't know what to tell you. White women are the number one benefactor of affirmative action. Like, if you think <laughs> that they're like, I, I, they're in second place. And like, yes, a lot of shit happens to them, but it's just like, dude, it fails in comparison. Like, I don't care to have this argument. It's, it's such a, to me, a diversion from the real issues that go on, you know? And even when they argue about the patriarchy, it's like, well, Amy Cooper was about to access the patriarchy on Christian Cooper. So, you know. Yeah, it's, I think it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, I think New Yorkers don't, I think New Yorkers don't understand because in the South, everyone lives with each other. So you're going to have these dialogues because you forced to live. They, you, you know, y'all play on the same football team. Y'all got to say something to each other. Yeah, New York. Which, yeah, I think the South a little more open. Here, put the black people over here. Put these other people. Right. Over here. You guys meet and, on the know, screen. That's where you're. Harlem's Harlem. Like I even laugh as I look at the statue of Frederick Douglass on one tenth. Yeah. Because it's like, okay, if we really don't live live in a post racial society, why don't you make Frederick Douglass Avenue in the middle of Midtown Manhattan? Like, really? Harriet Tubman statue over there. Yeah, to where it's like, come on, man. You know, they got Confucius in the middle of Chinatown. And it's just like... They want people to let them know where they are. Yeah, it's basically segregation, which is kind of funny. That's what he fought against. That's what I think. I think, like, New York is very very just, like, separation. Separate the people. A friend of mine described it perfectly. He said, they'll vote for your interests, but still don't want you in their neighborhood. And it's like, yeah. pretty much that part. So I think I, I think a lot of it has to do with British racism. A lot of people don't think about how the British, like the British got all these indentured, indentured servants, they brought them over uh, to, they brought them all over to England and they had a problem. They're like, what happens if all these people unite? What if the Indians get with the black people or the Jamaicans? So they said, all right, Jamaicans, you guys stay on that side. The Nigerians mm-hmm. over there, and they put like friction. They would always like make them fight. They would like blame mm-hmm. other people. They told Indian people, you're better than black people. Like Gandhi was writing stuff like that. Like when his little scrolls, he was writing, well, I'm not this, I'm Indian, I'm not this. It was like, what are you thinking? Yeah, he, he was okay. like, look, there is, no, there is no POC. It's just me. <laughs> right, so, like, yeah. they do that so much of just like divide and conquer. Just like they don't want anybody to unite. Right. And then, like, when I was yeah, reading, the British guy talking about us, like, you guys are so united in America. I said, like, really? They're like, yeah. They're like, here, right. like, I'm Grenadian. I'm this. I'm this. I'm that. I'm that. Yeah, and then all the cops are just like, you're all black if we don't give a shit. You're not white. <laughs> so. Some good, my, my friend's a cop. My friend's a cop, and he was telling me on the inside. He was just like, he's a cop, and he was saying how, he goes, 
you know, it's tough because, you know, it's a brotherhood. That's really what it is. You know what I mean? He's like that, that first two months, nobody sees him. They're, they're drowned together. They're beaten up together. He's like, yo, it's a, it's a brotherhood. So it's like, it's hard to go against the brotherhood. You want to stand up. And at the same time, he said, there's so much stuff you don't see as cops, like mm -hmm. smashing through your window or like looking over your shoulder and stuff. This is sticky. Mm -hmm. Right. But it's just like Christopher Dorner. I don't know if you remember him. He spoke out against it and he was like, yo, the dragging black people, you know, on the LAPD and then I have to be their partner and they have to get back in the car. And basically, he was saying that they were turning a blind eye and they, right. you know, we, we still aren't sure if Christopher Dorner even did what they said he did. And they burned him up on national television, you know, for telling the truth. So for me, I don't see why you know, anybody black would really join the cops. I mean, I guess it's a steady income, but I don't yeah, think well, it's, I don't think it's worth the mental price of having to see your people be treated as less than all the time. And, you know, well, back in the day, it was different. Back in the day, the cops were, it was, you were sanctioned to where your neighborhood was. So they had like, like in Chinatown, different, there's different police officers over there. You know, sometimes they won't right. talk to you. I think it's, as a black person, you know, you think about stability, you think about that. And my friend told me, he's like, you know, he always wanted to be a cop growing up, always. Yeah. Malik Yoba made it look pretty good on New York Undercover. But other than that, like I said, I saw Rodney King when I was five. And then, right. you know, you see a guy get hit, you know, 79 times or whatever it was. And then none of you motherfuckers are guilty. Like, not even the nightstick goes to jail. And it's just like, well, you know, fuck this whole thing. So, yeah, I think I had that whole cops is good people thing shattered pretty early, you know, at I think, five yeah. years old. I think it's it's a, it's just a distrust in our community, rightfully so. Rightfully What's even crazier than that is, like, if you remember, like, um, the Milwaukee uh, cop, the uh, commissioner or whatever is black, and even in Baltimore where they killed Freddie Gray, he's black, and I'm just like, I don't know why you would take that job because they like to use it, you know, as a diversion. Well, we can't be racist because the head of us is black. And it's like, what we're saying is systematically, not each and every one of you is racist, but this whole system is racist. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, sometimes people want to change from the inside. You know, I think there are some people, I know it doesn't seem possible, but the only thing we got in this country is hope, man. No, nah, I, I, I get it. I get how they get that idea. But like I said, when I, you know, seen that at five and then Christopher Dorner, even that, like I said, he was trying to, you know, he was trying to snitch on the cops basically and tell about their fucked up practices and they killed him on national TV. So it's like, well, <laughs> so much for that idea. I just think it needs to be overthrown. And even when we talk about, you know, the political system, you know, I think uh, someone spoke up recently and said it needs to be more than a two-party system. I think it was, uh, fuck, what is her name? I almost said Asada Shakur, but not her. It was a black woman, though. I forget what her name is, but That's she how was it like, is. yeah. It needs There's like three parties. Yeah, it needs to be a third party. And a lot of these systems are always like, we don't drive the same cars anymore, you know. Cops were born out of, they were born out of slave catchers, you know. That's the whole like thing, you know. How do we control okay reconstruction in America after 
to slavery. How do we control these newly freed slaves, basically? And that's where cops come from. If you understand that idea, then what they do makes perfect sense. Like, oh, you're basically searching and destroying it. Like, I can't think of as a grown man, 33-year-old black man who pays taxes and who goes to work most of, almost every day. I can't think of a single fucking reason why I would ever call a cop. And that's a problem. You never no criminal of- record, no nothing, never, and I never will. You know, I can't think of a single reason why. You call the ambulance? Never called them either. <laughs> Knock on wood, I've been lucky. I'm in good shape. I'm laying off the seasoning salt, like the Surgeon General said. Right. This is the last two questions. Uh, do you believe in soulmates? Nah. No? Nobody special in your life? Nah, I don't. Not to say I don't have anyone special in my life, but just that. I think that's like a concept like good and bad, right? Where like, as a child, yeah, like, oh, wow, good and bad. But as you get older, it's like, no, you're never going to meet the perfect match for you. You're going to meet someone who's close. And I think People too often, they identify it as, oh, well, I'm not settling. And it's like, the answer's not settling. My parents understood compromise, you know. My parents were married for 25 years. Compromise is the word. And they had five kids where it's like, now we're too idealistic. We're like, oh, they've got to look like this. They got to walk like that. They got to have this education level. And it's like, nah, (laughs) that's not going to happen. You know, I know 30-year-old, women who are waiting for usher and it's like you're a nurse why would usher ever date a nurse and vice versa you know i know dudes that are like you know (laughs) right i know dudes that are garbage men i know dudes that are garbage men and they're like halle berry's single and it's like uh she's never gonna meet you like it's not gonna happen unless you are a seat filler for like the oscars and you just happen to meet her but you guys are in two different tax brackets. So the answer is compromise. And that's why I don't believe in soulmates. Cause I'm like, nah, everyone that I know that's happily married has had to compromise. And if that was their soulmate, they wouldn't have had to compromise. All right. What happens? What do you think happens when you die? Oh man. I wish I knew, man. This is a I, I really don't know. Never really thought about that. That's an interesting ass question, man. Uh, hopefully, uh, we go off to heaven and there's no cop and no rent, you know, and no disease, you know. We can do what we want with the angels, you know, have a good time. One big ass party, I hope. But who knows? This is the last one before we wrap it up. This is what is it's like a rapid fire. I'm going to keep saying, Who are you? And the goal is to go beyond yourself. You know what I mean? So, who are you? Who are you? And you just do it. Whatever comes to your mind until we stop. Okay. You ready? All right. Yep. Who are you? Who am I? And then I say what to that? So ask me. Just ask. Just keep asking me. Who are you? Oh, who are you? Jared Waters. Who ask are me. you? Stand-up comic. Who are you? Southerner. Like that. So it keeps going. Ah, I got you. So it's like. like- the Twitter bio. Right. You guess it's Mother, to go beyond her him. Right. Got gotcha. you. You ready? Who are you? Phil Hunt. 
Who are you? A comedian. Who are you? A stand-up comedian. Who are you? Not an improv comedian. Who are you? A stand-up comedian who sometimes sits down. Who are you? Uh, a stand-up comedian who's also a son. Who are you? Who's also a brother. Who are you? A black man in America. Who are you? Uh, now it's getting tricky. See? A taxpayer. Who are a 1040 you? 1040 easy taxpayer. Who are you? Uh, a dependent sometimes for the right price. If you <laughs> give me back half. <laughs> Who are you? Uh, a propagandist. When it's all said and done, when they write your story, what do you want them to say about you? A legend. And he was funny. And he made the world a better place through laughter. It's the best medicine next to Oxycontin. It's in the Bible. That's what the Bible said. Laughter's like a dose of medicine. Big facts. You're going to have to send me that verse. I'll send it to you. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is the podcast, One Man, One True Hill. We got Phil Hunt. How can they find you, Phil? Uh, find me on all social media platforms at I am Phil Hunt, P-H-I-L-H-U-N-T. Uh, go to my website, funnyphil.com. Funnyphil.com. All right, my brother, stay safe in this pandemic, man. Hey, you too. Mask up. Live on the podcast on One Man, One Tree, One Hill. Say what up to the people. This is when I see black excellence, man. It's Dave Chappelle, Michael Che, Lauren Michaels, Chris Rock, Eddie Murphy, all sitting at the table. I say, yo, Eddie, Mr. Murphy, I, say, I just want to say, man, you're the GOAT, man. And you're the coldest nigga that ever walked the face of the earth. And then I said, and I said, uh-uh, and I'm be the next Jamar Neighbors. Yeah. And she was up like, I know that's right. <laughs> <laughs> gotta break that thing over she wants it private but y'all not even together right now so we haven't spoken about anything but the cat for at two least months. two months uh ladies and gentlemen thank you for listening to the podcast my name is jerry waters and i'll catch you next time like subscribe rate the podcast have a wonderful night wonderful day whatever you're listening to i'll see you soon